of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Thank you for joining me today as we are looking at Psalm 96. We have just finished Psalm 95 the other day, and we are here in Psalm 96, a similar theme, worshiping the Lord and the splendor of His holiness. In this particular psalm, the psalmist calls on all nations to proclaim God as their king. And keep in mind, the surrounding nations of Israel worshipped other gods, other literal idols. We talk about idols in our society, and certainly anything that comes before the one true God is an idol. But what do you do about literal idols? These are, it's kind of, it always baffles me. I've mentioned this several times. These are gods and physical um objects that the people had created themselves and they were worshiping something that they created themselves. This still happens in our world today. Um, you, You probably don't see a lot of it in our Western culture, but certainly there are um, cultures and groups of people who worship idols and in other words, objects that they made themselves. It's kind of ironic. They are worshiping something that they themselves created. And so the psalmist here is calling on all nations to worship God as their king. And the psalm contrasts God with the lifeless idols of the nations. You'll see that in verses 4 through 6. The theme of God's universal kingship is really similar to what we've seen in Psalm 47, Psalm 93, And what we will see in Psalm 97 and 99. 1 Chronicles 16 records the Thanksgiving Psalm, a song of David, when he brought the ark to Jerusalem. And it was a song that was composed from this psalm, Psalm 96 and Psalm 105. So uh, read 1 Chronicles 16, you will get an idea of the usage of this psalm elsewhere in the Bible. So let me start off by reading the text, and then I'll get into my commentary. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So let me point out a few things in this psalm. There's not a whole lot I want to get into, but as I mentioned, the psalmist here at the beginning calls for all the earth to worship the Lord. Since God is king of the whole earth and not merely of Israel, the writer here calls on all his subjects to praise him. And it is not until Christ returns that substantial numbers from the nations join in the universal chorus of praise. Verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. That is God's acts in history. And they provide marvelous events for which to praise him. For example, look at verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. That is one of his marvelous works. He made the heavens. Verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Uh, If you want some more information on offerings, read Leviticus chapter 2. There are very specific uh, commandments and boundaries that people were to abide by for for offerings, for grain offerings. And um, the entire book of Leviticus really gives laws for many things, and offerings is one of those. The word here is also used for the tribute that is due a king. For example, 2 Kings 17.4, But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him, in prison. So there was a tribute due to the king in a circumstance like this. And so this same word is used there. The idea is that God, because he is God, and simply for that reason alone, is due everything that we have to offer him. We owe him everything. And often we get the idea that we owe God everything because of what he has done for us. The thing is, if he had never done anything for us, he would still be worthy and still could easily command, demand everything we have from our entire lives. And so we get caught up on on God's uh, acts and what he has done. And that is something to praise him for. That is certainly something we should acknowledge. But keep in mind, we need to first remember who he is and why he is worthy. The foundational reason for God's worth is the fact that he is God. Verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So the psalmist proclaims God's kingship among the nations, the entire world. And he says, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. In other words, God created the world and he will hold the forces of chaos in check. 
He's the only one that can do that. And he continues, he says, He will judge the peoples with equity. God does not rule according to a whim, but according to justice and righteousness, because that's who he is. And as there is stability in creation, so there is stability also in justice. God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. And so often we forget that. So often we forget who God is. We come into the presence of God in corporate worship casually, sipping our coffee. I don't have a problem with coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, but it's the attitude we approach God. Uh, How do we come to God when we are worshiping? Do we come in casually as if he's just a buddy or a friend, nothing more? Or is there a reverence, a holy reverence that we are approaching literally in the physical presence of Creator God? Yes, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, Creator. And so we approach God, we need to approach Him with the right attitude and remember who He is, not only who He is, but who we are. I'm reminded of Isaiah in in Isaiah chapter 6. His only appropriate response was... Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And so often we approach God casually, and I wonder if we are missing, not only missing out on what God has for us, but if we are truly blinded to who God is and who we are because we do not approach Him correctly. We don't approach Him properly. I remember serving in a church years ago where um, someone said worship should be fun. I have no problem with having fun, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong here. Don't hear what I am not saying. There's nothing wrong with having fun. But when you think of the worship experiences in Scripture, in particular Isaiah chapter 6, that was not a fun experience. That was an experience that was eye-opening to the prophet Isaiah. That was an experience that completely changed him. And if we approach God just casually, how can we truly be changed by who God is and who we are? If we see God for who he is, then we will see ourselves for who we are, which is completely and totally, irrevocably unworthy, except for through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we should really come before God. And that's why this psalm speaks of the splendor of God's holiness. And we need to be intentional about reminding ourselves. You know, this is not something that happens just passively. In other words, we're not just going to show up and God's going to reveal himself in all of his splendor and all of his glory. He certainly could. But... Usually there has to be a level of intentionality on our part where we are going into the presence of God in corporate worship gatherings and reminding ourselves that we are about to enter into God's presence worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. If we approach God every week, every Sunday with that attitude and and, and realize that it is no small thing that, that we are doing that, I think our lives will be drastically different after having after we leave that place, knowing that we have been in God's presence. So, 
Psalm 96, I have set this to music, and it certainly could be used as a call to worship. It could be used in other other contexts. Um, it is in a, a triple meter, a three, four time, um, really kind of a meditative setting uh, that would allow people to meditate on the presence of God and the splendor of his holiness. So here is Psalm 96, set to music. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Righteousness and peoples with 